I remember my first few years out of dental school extremely well. I was actually really nervous, really scared. I wasn't sure. I was worrying about things like taking a bite wing. Can you believe that? The initial worry was how will I take my first bite wing? And I actually remember it happening. I'm like, um, these are different holders to the ones I had at dental school. And this is a different unit. And uh, do I need to, do I need to memorize the, the timings and the exposure and the radiation and just making really simple things really complicated because let's face it, you're, you haven't done this in a long time when your first day of the real world of dentistry comes. Welcome to the Protrusive Dental Podcast, the forward-thinking podcast for dental professionals. Join us as we discuss hot topics in dentistry, clinical tips, continuing education, and adding value to your life and career. With your host, Jazz Gulati. The other thing I remember about my first few years was constantly doubting myself and not being able to make decisions because you can't really make decisions or you struggle making decisions when you have a lack of experience. You're constantly doubting your judgment. So this is why it's a very unique challenge being a dentist, fully fledged dentist, out in the real world after dental school. So this episode is dedicated to those in their first few years of career after qualifying uh, and all the unique challenges that you face as a newbie dentist. I've got someone on today, Saeed Chiragi, who's literally just finished their first year out of dental school. And so he's in a great position to, because even though I remember, he has just felt all those emotions. He's actually literally just been through it all. So together we share our stories and our advice. And the aim of this episode is to inspire, support, guide, and encourage you to keep going. You've got this. So I hope this non-clinical interruption, because this is an interference cast, is very clinical actually, this one, but it's not eligible for CPD. So the ones that have got enough meat in terms of clinical gems, they're the ones who are eligible for CPD. Uh, and how you can get CPD is now by joining Protrusive Premium. So if you go to protrusive.app on your web browser, or if you download the iOS or the Android app, you can actually uh, join Protrusive Premium and actually get CPD episodes after listening or watching the episodes. Not this one though, because this one doesn't qualify, but most of the other ones, about 99% are eligible for you to get CPD. So straight after you listen or watch, answer some questions and get your CPD. Otherwise, let's join Dr. Saeed Chiragi to talk all about how to thrive in your first few years out of dental school. This episode is brought to you by Enlightened Smiles, the premium brand of teeth whitening. They also run the mini smile makeover course. Now, lots of dentists mess with me saying, Jazz, which composite course should I do? One of the reasons I recommend mini smile makeover, which I went on and I paid in full before I ever started talking about the podcast, uh, is because of two reasons. I'm gonna give you two really good reasons why as a young dentist, one or two years out of dental school, this would make a good course. Number one is because you can actually pay in installments, okay? So you can actually, there's not, when I was doing courses and I was newly qualified, there wasn't a such thing as paying in installments for, for something that's about £1,000 because that's kind of like the going rate nowadays for a, for a two-day course. So you get to pay in installments, which is great. The other thing, and this is real world, like from the heart, I'm telling you this, that, okay, you'll go on this course, but will you really be able to apply it the next day? And this could be said about any course when you're a super young dentist, when your first few years qualified, it's very difficult to apply all the things that you learn in the real world, which is why these treatment planning, history taking, basic occlusion, that's why these kind of bigger picture courses can actually be more helpful to a young dentist. But the reason why I think, even though you may not be able to apply the peg lateral and the multi-layering kind of stuff uh, and veneers and stuff straight away, the wonderful thing about mini smile makeover, something I've taken advantage of is that, okay, you pay and you go once, fine, I understand that. But then you get to go again and again and again, 
and there's no charge the second time, the third time, or the fourth time, etc. So you get to sit at the back of the class now. You don't get to do the hands-on. Fine, fair enough. And every time I go again, I hear Dipesh, I, I, I pick up a new gem that I just forgot from the, the time before. And I'm seeing the delegates do their hands-on again. I was like, yes, I can visualize this. So you get to go again in the future for free, which is great. So if you're early in your career and you go on it and you think, ah, oh, I'm worried I can't apply it, then when you're in the right environment, hey, you get to go again. And then it'll be fresh in your head and you can get a second bite of the cherry to apply again. So another reason to join the Mini Smart Makeover course. Okay, now let's start the main episode. Saeed Chiragi, welcome to the Protrusive Journal podcast, my friend. How are you? Hello there, Jazz. Thank you so much uh, for having me. It's a big honor because I'm a huge fan of the podcast. So I really appreciate that, man. And it's great to have someone on because the point of this podcast is to help those who are literally just coming out of dental school and they're doing their first ever job. Now, in the UK, that could be, or, you know, dental foundation training in the US would be your first job or wherever you are in the world, Australia, etc. It's essentially your first few years out of dental school. And when we're talking before the podcast, we're talking about some challenges. You made a lovely document for me in terms of all the challenges you faced. And, you know, I was saying to you that you will remember things that I've forgotten because I'm now, you know, nine years gone or whatever. So that you're, you are actually the expert and you need to own that because you are the expert of being being a foundation dentist because you've just done it and it's fresh in your head. And yeah. so whilst all these people who are 5, 6, 10, 15, 20 years qualified can give advice, they are not as qualified as you are because you've just been through it. So I just wanted, I, I say that uh, because I want any imposter syndrome that you have within you, I want to shatter it because it's, it's, you, know, you are definitely the expert in that. So just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you qualified from and uh, where you did your DFT. You don't have to be specific, you don't want to be uh, for, yeah. for obvious reasons. So just uh, give us a flavor of that. Yeah, sure. So life story summarized. Uh, I'm Saeed, I'm a dentist based in the Northwest of England at the moment. I actually started off by studying pharmacy. I gained my master's degree in that and then completed my pre-registration, getting experience in hospital and community pharmacies. And then pretty much as soon as I qualified, I went straight into dental school. I was studying at the University of Liverpool, which I really enjoyed. Um, and I only just graduated last summer, 2021, and literally just now finished my foundation year. So, yeah. Where, like where said, did you do that? Your first year, where did you do it? In Blackpool. In Blackpool. Blackpool. Okay. Yes. Cool. And it was a funny time because if you qualified last summer, you were one of the years significantly affected by the pandemic. Definitely. Anyone in my cohort, anyone in my year across all dental schools will know that we had a lot of challenges. And, you know, coming straight out of dental school, going into your first job, I feel like I can speak on behalf of all of us, what we felt a bit more underprepared than anyone else that had previously graduated you know, coming out of it, we had a lot less experience than a lot of other people. And that was something that was worrying us when we first started working. Can I ask you, Sayed, and, and I hope not, not to put you on the spot, and if it's okay, if you're happy to reveal this, because sure. I'm sure what you will say will reflect everyone else in your cohort, is like numbers. What kind of what kind of numbers are we talking? How many root canals do you, you do? Yeah. How many extractions? <laughs> how many dentures? Because, you know, I felt in all of my cohort, you asked them, we felt super unprepared as well like we just yeah. I, I, it's one of those things you'll never feel prepared for the real world you never will and we could yeah. talk about how the first year went and stuff but uh, just to reassure you you never no matter even if you had like a 10 times more experience you still would not feel prepared for the, the big bad world so talk us about numbers of you your colleagues what kind of numbers are people qualifying with nowadays so i'm not sure about other dental schools but in my dental school at very similar levels um, i had only completed two endos on human teeth in 
by real humans by the time I uh, <laughs> began work. I'm not laughing at the number. I'm just laughing at the fact that, you know, the, the real human reference. Okay, yeah, fine. exactly. Yeah. Um, only two endos, no uh, molars. So that was definitely one thing I was very worried about beginning work. And I told my supervisor at the start, I'd only completed two indirect restorations. I had done maybe 12, or four, 12 to 14 extractions in my whole time, no retained roots, nothing mm-hmm. extra, extra challenging. And I had done a, a cobalt chrome and a few dentures here and there. I felt okay in other things, but the mm-hmm. more challenging aspects, I felt really underprepared as I just, you know, as mm-hmm. you know, the numbers now. Well, I really appreciate you sharing that. And, uh, you know, if I was to go back, I, I did a ton of endo, just the way it worked out and a good number of extractions. But for indirect, like uh, crowns and stuff, like zero onlays, onlays weren't taught to me. We right. didn't do them. We just did crowns. Uh, and so I did maybe around about 12, 13 crowns qualifying. So it's, again, not massive numbers here, right? Not into yeah. 50s or 100s. So I still felt, like, nervous about doing crowns. So we'll talk about that. The biggest worry that I had, Saeed, believe it or not, and I want to just, was it just me or do you, do you, did you feel this as well? Breaking contact. Just breaking the contacts oh, of yes, yeah. <laughs> That used to really, really uh, put the fear in me. So yeah. what aspects of indirect dentistry did you feel worried about in your first year? I think when we say indirect restoration, but there's actually so many different types involved and each one has its own indication and own way of preparation, own way of cementation. So I think I, had, I was exposed to very few numbers so, for example, in dental school, I think I did a metal ceramic crown, and I think I did an all ceramic crown as well. But aside from that, I hadn't done any unlays, I hadn't done any inlays, I didn't know about different types of materials. And when it comes to the treatment planning, you need to be aware of which situation each one is most relevant to, so that you're able to prescribe it or recommend it. But that I think and, I, and do the appropriate prep for that material as well, right? Absolutely, absolutely. But before you could get onto that stage, you need to have, see the see the tooth, inform the patient. Well, these are your options here. Which one would you like to go for? That was the thing that I was I would think the most underprepared for because I didn't actually know what options I could present. I didn't know. One thing I think we should get onto more is how much of a challenge a restorability assessment is when you first start. Mm. It's so challenging to know, well, is this tooth actually restorable if I go through all the effort and, you know, the patient's going through the effort as well? Is it restorable or not? Do I have a high chance of success or not? So I think that side of things was more and so And these the teeth, Saeed, these um, borderline restorable teeth, these are the ones that need the endo. And then, again, with the lack of endo experience, these are sometimes really tough endo cases, right? Yeah. They're not like they're straightforward, nice, big pulp chambers and a 18-year-old. <laughs> these are the 58-year-old with the history of large amalgam with pins and the really tough root canal treatment. So, yeah, I mean, that, that is a, a tough scenario. And even, like, when I was DF1... I used to get really worked up and, and stressed when I'd, I'd have, like, simple dentistry, i.e. just someone who had gob rot, lots of caries and, and, and just gum disease, but which is basic. But even just to phase that in my head and, like, do you do GIC first? Like, the, the, some textbooks would say, yeah. do it that way, then bring it back. And, and mixing it into the real world and how you actually apply it to the real world, did you have those kind of challenges as well in terms of treatment phasing? I really struggled Absolutely. With that. Absolutely. That was actually one of the biggest challenges I faced starting this job. It took me a very long time to become comfortable in that situation because I think in, you know, again, something I'll get onto, but dental school, you're in such a nice little bubble where even the patients that come along to you, even the challenging ones aren't too challenging, it seems. But even if they are, you have someone right next to you who you can call over, actually, what should I do here? What should I do here? What should I do here? And you take it in that way. 
But in the real world, you come across patients. And for context, again, my cohort came into a situation where majority of these patients hadn't seen a dentist in two years because of COVID. Dentistry was just about getting back into the groove of things just then around the period when we were starting foundation mm -hmm. training. So and I see you have of, a, a lovely, lovely beard. Do you have to wear <laughs> the hood and stuff? Did you have to yes. wear a hood? Yeah, That's crazy. Like, yeah, you lack experience. You're, you're, you're starting a new job and you had to wear that bloody hood as well. Yes, definitely. And it was, you know, all of it together was a challenge. Everything together. Really overwhelming. Yeah, that's the one word. If I could summarize that initial period of starting that job, I would say overwhelming. There's just so many. It's just such a huge step up from dental school. And so the whole AGP bollocks and that kind of stuff yeah. as well. <laughs> oh my yeah, goodness. You guys time. definitely had it hard. Every year group that qualifies, Saeed, they will always tell you that, oh yeah, we had it really bad. But I don't think any, there'll be another hundred years before another cohort come out. To, <laughs> <laughs> so you have one, one thing that you can definitely claim. So I mean, we're talking about all these uh, problems and challenges tell me about the level of support you got not only within your practice but within your scheme i imagine they had to run the scheme in a very different way your study days were probably very different to mine they're probably back to basics how yeah. well did you feel supported well i was uh, i would say i was very lucky i went into a really supportive practice thankfully my i was the first ever foundation dentist that the practice had so it was a learning curve for the both of us but my supervisor was really supportive, always available to help me. And the other dentists in the practice were also super supportive. You know, I probably at certain points was annoying them because I was quizzing them all the time about, well, what mm -hmm. would you do in this scenario? I was showing them my cases. How would you approach this? What mm -hmm. is your approach to this? And from each dentist, each clinical judgment, you pick up a tiny little uh, gem that you can then apply to your own work. So yeah. thankfully, there was a lot of support within the practice itself. The whole team was really supportive. Mm -hmm. And then in, in terms of the scheme, the scheme was uh, the study days that we had were good. A lot of the study days were online, as you can imagine, because of social distancing and everything like that, which was a little bit of a shame because I wish I could interact with my fellow foundation dentists and my scheme a bit more. Mm -hmm. That would be it would have been nice to have a bit of a you know social gathering mm -hmm. as well out of it. But you were but, still a close knit cohort, right? In, in terms of uh, yeah. speaking, probably on a WhatsApp group or something like that, right? Yeah, we had a WhatsApp group and sharing with, with each other some cases, opinions, that kind of stuff. Yes. Looking, getting, yeah. you know, looking after each other. Now, did you have and you know, did you have, because even I had it in my scheme as well, where some people felt as though that for whatever reason, personality clash or just generally the way it was, they didn't get the best support from their trainers as they wish. And they, and they really felt not as supported as you did. Did you, did you know of people uh, in your scheme or other schemes that, that were in yeah, this sort of um, feeling? Yeah, I would say uh, not in my scheme specifically, but speaking, catching up with friends from dental school, there were some uh, cases where, like you said, this it is a personality clash and you're dealing with humans, aren't you? Not everyone is the same, has the same method of approach to teaching. Everyone is slightly different mm -hmm. in their style. So yeah, I felt like some people were a little bit under supported there. And I would say for the new dentists that are just about to start their foundation training now, just please don't be scared of speaking to your supervisor and they're not going to think any less of you they're not going to think oh this guy's rubbish he doesn't know the basic of like caries removal for example there's there's no harm in that you're just about to start they're there literally to support you and mm -hmm. don't be worried don't be scared to speak to someone and if your supervisor in the practice you feel like you're not getting far there you could always speak to the person higher up which is the beauty of the foundation training 
Well, you're, you're speaking directly there to all the new guys and girls coming through about to get into DF1. But let, let's send a message to, because a lot of DF trainers listen to this podcast, right? Yeah. If you're in a position to train, I think it's important now more than ever to just be a little bit more um, lenient of your time, have a few more blocks in your diary, especially in those first few months uh, where your trainee will need you more. Any advice that you can give to trainers out there? Yeah, I would say, uh, firstly, please just be understanding. Like I've just kind of give a brief explanation. For example, someone in my year or the year below might might have less experience than the previous foundation dentist that the practice has seen. So be, please be understanding towards that. Please be understanding towards the fact that the final year of dental school is stressful. You get a really short summer and then you're back straight into the swing of things into a really overwhelming environment. And everyone has their own pace of learning. You know, it's like any other skill. Some people will get the hang of things a lot quicker, but some people take a bit more time. It doesn't mean they won't get there. It just means they'll take a bit more time. Please be understanding towards that. And uh, like you mentioned, it's the best thing is to have those gaps in your diary where you can go in the room and observe or just help out if the foundation dentist needs you, especially on the cases they feel most worried about. Mm. So did you have any over-the-shoulder training? I.e. you were doing a restoration and then your, your trainer was watching you. Did you have any of those? kind, of, Or you were taking out a tooth and your trainer was watching you? Did you have any, any of those? My personal style is if I feel like I need that level of assistance then i will ask for it and my supervisor was super welcoming towards that but otherwise mm-hmm. i, I kind of feel a bit more pressure if someone's just watching me the whole time i feel like i would much rather if i feel like it's within my competence i'll give it a go mm-hmm. myself and then if mm-hmm. there are cases where i can't you know i can't overcome it myself that's when i'll ask for assistance that's exactly how I was uh, as well, Saeed, DF1. But then something interesting happened to me. When I was in DCT1, I was at Guy's Hospital doing my oral surgery post, and I was really struggling taking this tooth out. Uh, and so this registrar came over. I said, okay, I think I need some help. And instead of jumping in and helping me, she just stood by me and said, you do what you got to do. I'm going to watch you. And, and Saeed, that was the most powerful learning experience I ever had. Like the, the way she was uh, coaching me to hold the instruments, the way she was guiding me and what to do was a super, and I managed to extract it myself with her support. And so sometimes um, maybe for those listening out there, maybe to have a chat with your DF1 trainer and maybe if you struggle with extractions and you're nervous about extraction, it's completely okay to say, hey, can we do some over-the-shoulder training where you watch me and and this needs a special type of trainee as well that you need to accept that it's going to be a lot of pressure on you. Someone's watching you. It's not nice. I I agree on that. But if your principal's up for it and they're supportive and you feel comfortable to do that, then I think um, take up your principles on that opportunity would be a good thing. Because now I want to shift this podcast towards, yes, we've mentioned all these problems and all these issues. Let's come up with some solutions. So so tell me about the kind of things that you think helped and will help the future generation coming through in their first year to overcome this lack of experience. Yeah. So in, in regards to the lack of experience thing, I would say uh, what you need to, any young dentist just about to start, what you need to do is not initially don't put any extra pressure on yourself. Be understanding towards your own situation. You've literally just at the start of your career and there's so many things you need to learn. You think that you can't, you come out of dental school thinking you know things and then you go into the real world and you realize you actually don't know that much at all. So be understanding towards your situation 
at the start, don't get upset at yourself because, you know, all of us, I would say all of us in this situation, we really, we've worked really hard to get here. So we really care about what we do. We care if something goes wrong, it really does affect us. But try not to put extra pressure on yourself because at the start, you're just figuring out the absolute basics. Like when I first started, even taking x-rays was a challenge. I was coning everything at the start. I'm so, glad like you such... I'm so glad you mentioned this because like people think about crown preps and struggling with endo, yeah. but I, I, I'm, I'm with you. The first bite wing I had to take, I was like, wait, am, <laughs> have I put this on correctly? Was it, was it like this or was it like that? And then yeah. and the, the, the x-ray machine will be different to the one that you train with. And then the settings and stuff. So you're so right, actually, even just taking radiographs, it, you need training on that uh, all over again. Absolutely. It's the it's little things that you don't think about that you think, like, I remember uh, calling about this topic. I remember calling my dad once after work and I was like, oh, my, all my x-rays are come bad. And my dad was like, wait, x-rays, is that is that hard? I just thought everyone can just do it. Like all dentists just seem like they can do it. But it's the, at the start, it's those little things that you just don't have any experience in that seem like the biggest challenge. So don't stress mm -hmm. yourself. I need to do these, you know, extremely beautiful restorations or these complex cases and treatment planning. At the start, be really understanding towards yourself. Just learn the absolute basics. Deal with the absolute basics. As time mm -hmm. goes by, the way that you elevate your game is by keeping good records of what you do. And at this point, I really want to recommend everyone to get yourself a DSLR camera if you don't have one. Uh, but I think even better is to just get an intra-aura camera because firstly, they're not that expensive. Secondly, they're super easy to take pictures with. What I was doing was I was just taking pictures of teeth. It looks like a little, like a thicker pen. You just put it in the mouth, take a picture of the tooth. Later on in the day, when I'm sat down with my supervisor, I'll be like, what do you think of that? Do you think that's restorable, for example? How would you approach mm -hmm. that? Would you take mm -hmm. out the caries here and all those kind of so stuff? So much better than just showing a radiograph, right? So much yeah. better. Uh, and so if, you, if you're not in a position to get a DSLR for whatever reason, uh, or certainly if you're going to get a DSLR and it'll be sat in the corner and you won't be using it, then definitely just get an intra-oral camera. They're about 180 pounds nowadays. Uh, these used to be 150, now they're 180, but it's, it's worth every penny. Even if you have to like, first paycheck like my first paycheck I, I, I bought a DSLR I'm, I'm very vocal about that so you've got an intraoral camera it will be the best investment you make yeah. and get it in your first month go on Amazon now get it order it stick it into USBs plug and play it'll work yeah. with your software usually exact or whatever you're using and, and you need to start taking photos not only because you can discuss that with your trainer but it's going to really help you the young dentist first year out when you need to communicate with a patient that picture is a thousand words in itself. It does half the communicating for you. Absolutely, exactly that. Because, for example, like I, I, I keep I keep folders of all the pictures I've taken in, across the year. And at the start, if you look at my the photos I was taking at the start, it was just literally did I take did I remove all the caries? I was just checking for myself or to show my supervisor did I remove all the caries? This is where I started. This is what I ended my ca cavity preparation. Was all the caries gone? Later on in the year, I was doing taking pictures of preps and I was like, well, did I get the right margins and everything? And then you keep a track of your own work. And this is really just a tool for yourself to be able to reflect on it and be like, well, next time that this same case comes across, I want to do it differently. I want to do it in this way. And that is really what, good. like you mentioned, when you come out really apprehensive about the level of experience that you have, these are the things that will slowly, slowly get you to elevate your game. Mm -hmm. And if you come across a, a tough case, even if it's a, you know, sometimes a tough case can be a single tooth problem, which is really puts you on the fence and you're not sure, 
Okay, and that can be tough. Or sometimes yeah. you've got a multiple teeth problem, failing bridge and abruxis and TMD on one side uh, and some perio localized and there's all sorts going on. Just focus on getting your records and saying, patient, there's a lot going on. To give you a flavor, it's X, Y, Z. To come up with the best plan for you, uh, I need to sit and think about it. There's too much going on. Absolutely. I'll invite you back and we'll have a chat. And in that time, that's when you speak to your, your, your trainer. Uh, and, and that's where you maybe uh, hit the books or, or go to some uh, online webinars or whatever. Because I'm a big fan, Saeed, of uh, just-in-time learning. For example, oh, okay. imagine you want to um, improve your root canals of central incisors, for example, right? You're not just going to, on the Saturday evening, just say, you know what, today I'd like to improve my central incisor root canals and open up uh, a, a textbook and watch some videos on YouTube or whatever. When that case comes along and you know that you've got it next week, that's when it's actually going to stick in your head and that's when it's going to be relevant. So just in time learning, except that, okay, we don't know very much, but as in every day, you, you, you know, okay, today I need to focus on the wax trying stage because I've got that next week. Today I need to yeah. focus on how to prep the distal margin of a, of a lower molar because that's what I've got next week. And if you keep doing that, by the end of the year, you've recovered a lot of ground because it's a more focused way of learning. Did you employ that technique or anything like that? I, well, yeah, I definitely did that kind of, but can I just say something that you really quickly brushed over that I think for you is now really second nature, but for a young dentist in my position, Please. it's actually a big deal, which is you said about how when you're speaking to a patient, you could be like, well, I'll take these pictures, then I'll get an answer for you next time. I know from experience this time last year, doing that was a really scary thought because I felt like I should have all the answers right now. And if I tell the patient, oh, actually, can, can I tell you next time that might come across as incompetence. But I think mm. with time, you learn that that's completely normal. That's completely fine. Like, that's something my supervisor really instilled in me as well. I would, when, when it was a large case with multiple different issues going on, I would be really upfront and say, look, the, these are the urgent things that we need to deal with. Here's an answer for what we should do. But we also need a long-term plan. Can I please mm -hmm. just get you back next week for a 15, 20-minute discussion? By then, I'll have the treatment plan ready for you. Mm -hmm. So that, Very good. that's like, yeah, that's a really important scale that I think young dentists shouldn't, and shouldn't you're be right scared that of doing you that. Feel as though, um, you're right that you, you feel as though that um, you should know the answer. And I remember being incredibly frustrated with myself saying, you know, this is a simple caries imperial case. Why do I need more time? But actually to even just sit down and, and, and chart on the software exactly how many restorations appointment one, appointment two, appointment three, exactly how you're going to phase it, to have a think about how you can restore it and stuff, discuss costs with the patient, et cetera. That, aside from the examination, can take up a lot of time. So even the simple dentistry uh, at the beginning, it's completely okay to, to take those photos, deal with the urgent thing, like you said, and say to the patient, uh, and I, I used to say it like, you know, an architect will go away and give you a blueprint. I need to come up with a blueprint for you. And then when I do, <laughs> yeah. we'll make sure that we'll, we make this, build this foundation that will last. And if you just communicate like that with confidence, the patient yeah. will be like, okay, I'm, I'm glad. Because the opposite of that is what we call shotgun treatment planning. Right? Someone's got a gun to your head, like, okay, treatment plan right now. Okay? And we feel, we feel this pressure every day. But there's no need for that, especially in your first year, uh, because you haven't had enough failures yet to know what's going to work, what's not. And so you need to have those discussions and, 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 and don't be shy. So I'm glad you, 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 we emphasize that on that a little bit more. Yeah. And, and, and so following on from that camera, um, t taking a pause and then discuss with your trainer, which other strategies would you recommend to our peers? I would say that the biggest skill that you can learn throughout this entire year is learning how to manage patients and talk to patients. That And that should be the, the bulk of the emphasis of a lot of the stuff to do, especially at the start. There's two things that you need to really be able to do. One is to truly be able to get valid consent. 
And by valid consent, it means explaining to the patient in layman terms what's going on, pros and cons of whatever you're suggesting, and then allowing them to make a decision for themselves. Because it, because it's really easy for we have our own dental language, and it's really easy for us to throw things out, upright stakes, all these things. But a patient, like just imagine if your parents are in the dental world, they wouldn't understand half the things you say. So learn how to speak to patients in a really nice, concise way. The second, probably the biggest skill that you can learn is learning how to manage expectations. In my in my personal opinion, is is managing expectations and. That's going to save you so much pressure and stress in the future. When I deal with a patient, I'm completely honest with them. I say, this is the treatment that needs to be had. This is what we need to do. Here's the, here are the pros and cons for this. What do you think? Would you like to go ahead with this or not? And then, for example, managing expectations. I'll just give one quick example, Jazz, from what I learned in dental school. In dental school, I was having a real struggle with getting nice, accurate impressions. And I was taking mm-hmm. maybe three, four, five attempts sometimes. I'd go to the tutor, show I've them, and be like, yes. yeah, I'd show the tutor, and they'd be like, no, go again. Oh. Heart sink moment. Yeah, I'm going back again, telling the patient, I'm so sorry. I, again, oh, I'm so sorry to do it again. But if one thing that someone taught me was, if at the start of the appointment, I just told the patient, well, today's the impression stage, I might need to take a few different impressions because I need to. I want to get the most accurate impression for you so that I can give you the best product at the end of this. Then if you go into your fourth attempt, fifth attempt, instead of them thinking, oh, this guy's taking so long, they're actually like, wow, he's really putting the effort. He really wants to give me the best. Mm. Guys, the best if, if anyone's multitasking, me. if anyone's multitasking and you missed that, you need to listen to that again because Saeed has given you, uh, you know, wise beyond his ears, what he just told you is essentially what he's changed, he's changed the frame of the appointment. So before the frame was apologetic, I'm sorry, I'm sorry that we're doing this. But when you change the frame and set the tone at the beginning is that, hey, we really are serious about getting high quality dentistry and to get high quality dentistry it might take me a few impressions to make sure I'm really happy with it and and, and then you've really set yourself up for success so that is a, a really great trip tip well shared side thank you very much yeah so I would say genuinely the, the there's the whole dental side of things a technical aspect of things but if you are good with communicating with patients, managing patients, because you're going to deal with conflict is guaranteed. I mean, at some point in your career, it's definitely guaranteed. I don't know if it's in your first year, but you need to deal with conflict. You need to learn how to cope with that. You need to learn how to cope with nervous patients. The biggest shock to me that I don't think I was fully prepared for is just how much of the population, adults especially, are so scared of the dentist that you know, genuinely, some of them are petrified. How do you deal with that kind of patient? How do you deal with children? How do you educate patients? How do you provide that information in a way that's concise and they can understand it so that when they go away and come back to you in three, six months, they're like, oh, mm-hmm. actually, I've been doing the interdental brushes like you explained, for example. Mm-hmm. Those, those, I think this year, that there's a lot to learn dentally, but these, if you can develop the, this, these skills this year, it's going to set you mm. up for the rest of your career. It's going to have the biggest impact. Very true. And, and building rapport and, and having conversations with your patients is just the most important. I think if you just master that in your first year or try, you can, I don't think you can ever master it, but if you really put some attention and energy towards actually conversating with patients and, and communicating uh, in the best way possible in a concise and clear way, that's going to yeah. really give you a leg up for the, for the rest of your career. So when, when you are speaking with your patients, I would say, um, and actually, just I'm going to backtrack now. I'm going to say you mentioned, and I picked up on it, about when it 
comes to speaking to patients, you said how important it is. And obviously it's important because uh, of consent, as you mentioned. And you mentioned about good record keeping. Did you, in your first year, worry about litigation? Because now that you're uh, qualified, it gets drummed into us that in your first few years, you get litigated so many times over. Was that a concern for you or were you just focused on learning eventually that actually that was in the back, that wasn't really at the front of your mind? How did you approach that? I, I was listening to your podcast with Lincoln Harris recently and he mentioned about how the last lecture you have before finishing dental school is someone coming from like these defense organizations saying, by the way, you're going to get sued. So it's impossible to not think about it. I think it's something definitely that's in the back of all of our heads. And it was definitely something I was aware of. Now, I can't prepare myself because I don't know what the real world is like. That's where the experience of someone will, someone a lot more experienced than you will help you along with that. So, for example, my supervisor was showing me cases, for example, of complaints that have happened or people making claims. And he would tell me about, well, this happened because of these reasons and these, this is how you avoid it. And then mm. he would, for example, give me pointers on what to definitely include in my record keeping of the conversations that I've had with patients. Make sure you mention this. Make sure you inform mm -hmm. the patient that, for example, that they have something called gum disease, called periodontitis. These are the consequences of it that could happen later down the line. You know, we live in, unfortunately, we live in that kind of world. There's no escape in it. It's just mm -hmm. something that we need to learn to deal with because God forbid, if it does happen to us, then that's when the real stress comes. But if you're already aware of it, then you can always try and protect yourself in the long term. Well said. And, you know, it just must have been so tough, you know, already coming out with less experience and trying to learn. But at the same time, with this knowledge that actually you've got to be a little bit defensive what you do. So, yeah, I mean, kudos to you for, yeah. for, for making it through. Uh, one, one lesson I can share with those listening is a lesson that is not my own original lesson. It's a lesson that I, I picked up from, a, 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 I think it was a book. And it was a chap called Amin Aminian, a very well-known dentist. And he wrote something really fantastic. Uh, he said, the secret to not being sued. And this is who knows is evidence-based or not, but this is, it really resonated with me. He said something really great. The secret to not being sued is there's three things which you need to do. And if you do two of those three well, then you'll be okay, right? So the three things are the following. Be nice to your patient, okay? Be likable, be nice, okay? Number two is picking the appropriate, an appropriate treatment plan. And three, executing that plan well. So even if you picked the wrong yeah. plan, not a good plan, but you did it really well, and you know the, the quality of dentistry is really good, okay, that counts, okay? So if you do two of those three really well, you're probably gonna be okay. And that's always stuck with me, right? So sometimes, you you know, because of lack of experience, you, you might not have picked the best treatment plan, but you did it to the best of your ability, and the patient liked you, uh, and, and you're nice. And, and I've always loved that. And I think if you extrapolate further from that, you can always be nice to your patient. Okay, let's, yeah. you know, that's a, an easy one we can do. And, we, you know, just if you get the other one or the other two right, you're going to be okay. Uh, have you heard of that one before? I ha actually haven't. That's a really good way of uh, summarizing. And I think in regards to the, you, like you said, you can always be nice. That's for free. You don't have to put any extra effort or money into it. Being nice is always free. The second thing the, th the final thing you mentioned, the quality, that is something that will hopefully improve with time. You can't always guarantee it. But I think if you genuinely, in regards to the second point, if you genuinely have the patient's best interest at heart, even if the final result, you come to the end of it and you're like, actually, like, I wish I did it differently. But if you go put yourself in the first instance and you tried your best, like, I'm doing this out of pure good intentions. I think that this is the best course of treatment for you. Then, you know, a patient will always read, they, they'll understand that you tried your best, that you didn't 
do something that benefits you as a dentist you tried your best to do something that benefits the patient and i think a lot of them really understand that and appreciate that very good very good a- any more on your list in terms of i just want to cover one or two more themes here in terms of interest time so what other tips so you mentioned already about the intro camera about getting good at communicating we talked a little about you know yeah. preventing litigation and how that should be the back of your mind managing expectations i love the frame that you taught everyone that was that was wonderful uh, what else so I, again, I'm not going to go specifically into dental things, but I, this is a topic that I think needs deserves a lot more attention that I don't think we get enough attention about. And that is the health, is our health. What I mean by that is both physical and mental health. This isn't a, a mental health. Yes, there's a bit more awareness towards it, but I, especially physical health, I don't think a lot of attention is placed on it from our training in dental school or our schemes or work or social media or anything like that. In every single profession, you need to protect the tools of your trade in order to be able to have a you know a, a nice long career, hopefully. For example, footballers, they need nice healthy legs to be able to have a living, to be have an income. If they get injured and they can't play, then that's the income done, it's finished. It's kind of the same for us. We have a very physical job, which means that we have to be able to protect the parts of our, the tools that allow us to work our hands, our eyes, our backs, shoulders, necks. There's not a lot of emphasis that's placed on this, which I think is, mm-hmm. is a shame because w- what is it that provides you longevity in your career is if you can keep your body healthy and get it to a point where you can keep continuing to work. Otherwise, that's the income done. So mm-hmm. some of Did the you have like a, I, an epiphany moment in your training that you made you realize this? Or is this something that you have a background in because obviously you have a de- degree before? Uh, how, what makes you compelled to, because it's wonderful advice, uh, yeah. but what made you realize this? And then also, uh, what have you been doing to be yeah. able to practice this? Yeah, really good question. So I, I, when I was younger, I used to play a lot of football at a pretty decent level. So I was taking football really seriously. And the lessons that I learned from there I've kind of started to apply for the rest of my life. That's football is a career, just like dentistry, for example. And inter- and when I first started working, I think I have kind of like an old man's body because I was in a lot of pain from my neck, my shoulders, my back when I first started to the point sometimes where sleeping in certain positions was painful at night. I was actually struggling a lot at the start. So that's what really got me into it, to focus a lot more into it, look into it, research it, and see what works best for me. And I'll, I'll share some of the things that have worked for me in terms of physical health. No, in t- what, Number one thing that's made the biggest difference is regular routine stretching. I stretch, I do a full body stretch before work, before I go into work, and I do one at the end of the day as well. And I stretch all the muscles in these areas that allows them to just loosen up, get some recharged again for the next day. Number two is I started going to yoga lessons uh, at my gym, and yoga was, again, another really helpful tool that I found. I I do weight exercises at the gym as well, which strengthen those muscles that I need for work. And swimming, I found to be really helpful as well. So everyone might have a different style of doing things, but I would just recommend everyone to really put some more emphasis into your bodies to allow you to hopefully have a nice long career. Otherwise, maybe by the time you get to the 40s, 50s, you don't want to carry on anymore because you're in pain. And then if we step aside from the physical body in terms of mental health, that is also a huge part because... When I'm at work, I'm operating at a hyper-focus level all day, every day. Because I'm at the start of the career and I don't have that much experience, it doesn't feel second nature to me. I can't just do things without thinking too much about it, which means that I'm 
hyper-focused. I'm thinking about every single decision I make, every single action that I do, everything I say to the patient, everything they say to me. So my mind is like full throttle all day, every day, which can tie you out. It, it can, that's what leads to burnout, in my opinion. So the way I've learned to deal with that, which I hope could be useful for this to listen to, is what I did was I created like a mental barrier in my mind of which separates my professional life and my personal life and that physical mm -hmm. and that mental barrier was the physical building of the practice and what i mean by that is when i'm within the practice itself when i'm physically in the practice that's me Said, the dentist i'm you know really on top of it with work taking things really seriously any responsibilities to do with work such as admin work record keeping uh, portfolio referrals anything to do with dentistry that's when i do it in the building which meant that a lot of the times I was leaving the practice an hour or two after work had finished because I was just, I wanted to get all my responsibilities done because the moment I stepped foot off the practice, that's side the dentist done. That's not side the dentist anymore. That's just me, normal, normal side. And that mm -hmm. is what allows my mind to kind of recharge because if I take work home with me, I'm always in that mindset and I don't ever get a chance to recharge, refresh, get ready for the next day. Very good. I, th I think, like I said, uh, wise beyond your years, my friend. Very good. Uh, just to wrap up the episode, um, let's talk about one experience each that you remember from yeah. your DF1 year, your first year out, uh, that you found like a, a, a real challenge. Uh, and, and then what lesson we can draw for that. So I'll, I'll go first, give you um, an, an idea of what, um, the angle I'm taking. It was Christmas Eve uh, of my first year in work, so DF1 for us. Uh, and the volume of patients I saw that day uh, in pain, Tomorrow is Christmas. You got to get them out. It, it just really, really, really was a challenging day for me. I just felt so physically destroyed and burnt out uh, on that day. So yes, all the advice that you gave there. But when it comes to those scenarios, you just have to really keep your composure. And uh, obviously Christmas Eve, there wasn't much support available for me at that, on, on that day. You have to keep your composure and give your everything to that one patient that's there who's put their trust in you. Yeah. And so you're going to have these uh, days that you have just such a, a huge volume of patients, but the show must go on and you have to, have to, have to give every single patient your best. So it is kind of like show business. Even though you're like destroyed inside, you have to give your uh, best present your best self to your patient and you have to care. So like, just like you said, put your best uh, yeah. patient's best interest. That's you know the, the, the classical way to say it, but you just have to actually care. Care with a capital C-A-R-E. So that's my sort of uh, uh, memory of uh, having a really tough experience. Do you have a, a, an experience that you want to share, either an isolated incident or just generally? If I can cheat, can I give two quick examples? So uh, mm -hmm. the first incident is a, is a bit of a lighthearted one. Uh, in my, I think my first or second week, they're literally just about to start seeing patients. Just for some context, I was taking on the patient cases from the previous practice owner who had semi-retired. So these patients had seen the previous dentist for like 20, 30 years, some of them. They were really used to that uh, previous dentist. I remember seeing this 78-year-old, uh, I think it was 78-ish uh, gentleman. He came in. And I was going through the same uh, history taking that I learned at uni, you know, everything, risk assessment, every tiny little question, detail. I was asking everything. At one point, he looks at me and I could, I could tell I was losing him. At one point, he looks at me and he goes, look, kid, can you just look mm -hmm. in my mouth so I can leave? And I was like, uh, yeah, sure, of course. Uh, I, I was just about to do that, actually. Let me just quickly do that. And the, 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 the lesson that I learned from that is you have to be adaptable as well. 
you know, you have I have my own style, and the previous artists had their own style. But you have to be adaptable. You have to kind of know your audience and know how to approach each patient in their own way, because that's when you can kind of win their trust and uh, be able to provide good treatment. Mm-hmm. And on a more challenging awesome. one, on a more challenging one, I was there was this uh, lady who hadn't seen a dentist again for two years. Uh, you know, there was a lot going on in her mouth, a lot of retained root, a lot of unrestorable teeth. And she came to me and she said, could you just please, uh, like whatever you do, just please fix my mouth so that I look presentable for my daughter's wedding. That's all I want to do. Mm-hmm. We're on the top table. Everyone's going to take pictures. Please just make me look presentable. And what I said before, you always try to manage expectations and you never try and make promises. But in that case, I said, look, I can't promise anything, but for you, I'm going to try my absolute best. And I went through the stages, you know, we did some extractions and then at each mm-hmm. stage I was going along with the denture stages as well. And it got to the point where we were just about to fit it, but the patient had a lot of post-operative swelling and abscess from the area, which was something I couldn't predict. And because we were under a time pressure, um, we had to kind of speed things up. We did, I didn't have the same amount of time that I could give to allow healing to take place. And it really, did, because you get emotionally invested yourself in this mm, situation, it can true. have an impact. It can have an impact on you. And but by the end of it, she couldn't wear her top denture. Unfortunately, she could only wear her lower one. It was enough to kind of take pictures with. But I think the main takeaway that I could take from it is. Like you said, care as much as you can, but just know that some scenarios are just out of your control. No matter how much of a good intention you have, how much you try your best, sometimes you just can't achieve it out of things out of your control. So, Saeed, based on that, I mean, great lessons you shared there. And I think um, some things to remember is uh, you're not a pizza, so you can't make everyone happy. Uh, you <laughs> yeah. have to care. You have to care. But ultimately, you can't take your patient's problem and own that. So uh, yeah. I think it's a, it, it shows what a sweet and caring dentist you are that you feel emotionally invested. And I, for the first four years, like I was in bed thinking, oh my God, I just did an extraction today. What if my patient has a dry sock here? And what if they're in pain? And I used to be emotionally invested myself. Um, it was silly. You, you know, I, I always teach now, don't own the patient's problem and don't take their, their problem home with you. But that's different from not caring. I'm saying care, still care about the patient, but you can't own their problem. We have enough problems in our own lives. Uh, we don't need to start carrying all our patient's problems. So that's, that's really important. Uh, and then, yes, and the other lesson there is if you want to talk about stressful dentistry, you're, you talk about dentistry uh, under a time deadline. Oh, my goodness. So um, <laughs> yeah. these are the cases where anyone, uh, if anyone ever says there's a time deadline, okay, and even if it's a decent time deadline, you always, always, always have to put that frame on that, listen, we, you know, anything can happen. We cannot guarantee anything. And try your best. Be like, but listen, this is unrealistic to uh, put any sort of time pressure because we want to get the best outcome here, not a rushed outcome. So uh, just be careful in those uh, scenarios. Saeed, thank you so much for, for giving your time. And, and you know what, uh, Saeed, I really respect you because you've made yourself vulnerable. You revealed a few things about your experience levels and, and your training and stuff, which I, I really appreciate because uh, a lot of people will be able to listen to this and oh my god I, it, it's not just me I've got someone out there who's, who's, who's been through it just and, and, and I can do it as well uh, so that's really great uh, tell me what you've got planned uh, over the next year what kind of uh, um, things that you want to learn what's on your uh, personal development plan what, what are the kind of feelings that you're having in, 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 in the real big bad world of associate life so in regards to dentistry itself at the moment I'm really just enjoying kind of 
getting a taste for every little tiny pocket of dentistry there is. I'm enjoying like sneaking my head through it, through the door. I mean, like, oh, this is what oral surgery is like. This is what endo's like. So at the moment, I don't have a clear set plan. I'm kind of just finding my feet. And then with time, hopefully whatever feels right for me, I can pursue. But one thing that I've mm. always known that I want to get into in the future is I'd hopefully like to get into education and whether that's in the form of uh, being a clinical tutor at university or becoming a supervisor for a foundation dentist or even like setting up courses like you do and teaching others. I know that that's hopefully something I want to get into in the future. And the reason why I kind of came on here to share my stories is because I want others to know that what you're going through isn't unique completely to you. You know, I wish mm-hmm. I, the kind of stuff I know now, you, I knew a year ago, which is kind of why, what gave me the idea to come and share my stories with others. And people should know that, you know, this is a hard job. This is an overwhelming job for, a, mm-hmm. in a lot of cases, it might be the most difficult graduate job straight out of uni coming to your first ever full-time job. This might be the most difficult one out there in, in, if mm-hmm. you compare it. So don't feel bad about it. Be understanding towards yourself. And definitely with time, you'll get better because experience is the best teacher in life. Man, you, you are so, so wise behind, you, behind your years. And uh, I, I think you've got a great career ahead of you. Just your attitude, your mindset, everything just seems perfect to me. And uh, I think keep doing what you're doing. I think you've definitely got your head screwed on, right? So it must be, it must be something about these postgrads, you know? Postgrad dentists are always just uh, <laughs> on the ball, always fine. It must be something, you know, about having a prior degree already. So I always find you guys are so much more mature. So uh, that probably explains why you're so, you are so mature, despite being so young. So that's amazing. And I wish you all the best with that. Thank um, you so much. Please uh, tell us how we can follow you on the socials. Yeah, so uh, Jazz, I'm sure you'll, you're going to tag me on the social, but I've got a dental page is Dr. Saeed, Dr. Saeed underscore dental uh, is my Instagram tag. Any young dentists out there, if there's any help or advice that you think that I could give, any any help at all, don't hesitate. Get in, Find me on social media, get in touch. If I can help, I'd be more than happy to do so. And just before we wrap up, Jazz, I really need to thank you, not just for inviting me on here today, but also for the huge amount of inspiration that you provide, not just for me, but anyone that listens to the podcast. I have learned so much from listening to your podcast that I've been able to apply to my work. And I just hope that you keep doing it and you achieve bigger and greater things, hopefully with time. Amazing. Well, I appreciate you being part of the Patrusrati, and uh, you've done us proud, mate. You've done us proud of this episode. You should be really proud. I think you um, you handle everything. You get Jed so many gems that will be really helpful to all those new dentists coming through. Saeed, all the best for your career. I'm going to keep an eye out for you, buddy. Uh, I wish you all the best. Thank you so much, Ash. Much appreciated. Well, there we have it, guys. Uh, some real world themes uh, covered there in terms of just how difficult it was for me to break contact right? Like breaking contact is a thing that we don't talk about as being tricky, but it is, especially when you haven't got the the hand-eye coordination because you haven't done enough preps because you haven't got enough muscle memory yet. And so I really appreciate that Saeed shared his sort of numbers with us and they're probably very similar to you listening right now if you made it all the way to the end of this episode so kudos to you Saeed for for making this happen thank you so much for supporting all those young dentists listening here Uh, and whether you're a seasoned practitioner who's trying to get a feel for what our younger colleagues are going through at the moment then thanks for sticking around to the end and if you're young dentists who've just discovered Protrusive on the podcast thanks so much for joining me you're officially now a Protrusive so I hope you enjoyed the other episodes and I'll catch you in the next one guys (laughs) 